African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue this hour. This is where we contextualize the big issues, where we discuss the topics of the continent. Today, we stay in South Africa on our program today, looking at uh, the COVID-19 variants, uh, the new ones that are now uh, becoming a talking point in the country when it comes to COVID-19. South Africa's Department of Health has confirmed variants of the COVID-19 virus first identified in India and Britain have been detected in the country. How does that affect the country and also how does that also change uh, the way the country is going to deal with uh, the growing numbers of COVID-19 cases and uh, its response in that regard. That's going to be our main topic today but before we get into it let's get our news update from Onel Nzinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Benjamin. Looking at your headlines, South Africa's communist, communist Party to follow the example of the African National Congress should they be charged with serious crimes. Rwanda and Uganda remain at loggerheads after almost three years in strained relations and nine people have been killed after a school shooting in the Russian city of Kazan. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. With your latest news, I am Onelin Sinzi. The South African Communist Party says it will follow the example of the African National Congress, the country's ruling party, in taking the necessary measures against its members should they be charged with serious crimes, including corruption. This comes after the ANC National Executive Committee ordered that suspended Secretary General Ace Mahashule publicly apologizes to party structures for issuing a letter of suspension, party le- suspending rather party leader Sir Ramaphosa. Mahashule was suspended after he refused to step aside in accordance with an ANC resolution. Meanwhile, the ANC says its Deputy Secretary General Jesse Duarte will temporarily take over Ace Mahashule's responsibilities. SACP spokesperson Alex Mashilo. We must say from the standpoint of the Communist Party, we have done that before and we are not just giving the ANC moral support. Should any member of the Communist Party be charged with corruption or serious crime in the courts of law, the SACP will take the same measures as we took before uh, to show that we support the ANC in practice as well. 
Rwanda and Uganda remain at loggerheads after almost three years of strained relations. This is despite diplomatic efforts to resolve the outstanding issues. Addressing the ruling party's extended National Executive Committee meeting on, on, on May 1st, President Paul Kagame described relations with Tanzania and the DR Congo as cordial, while relations with Burundi are on demand. Both countries have traded accusations with Kigali, accusing Kampala of supporting armed groups against it, harboring hostile groups, kidnappings, as well as torturing of Rwandans in Uganda. This resulted in the closure of the border. Uganda, too, has accused Rwanda of trying to impose a trade embargo and espionage. Nine people have been killed and four others hospitalized after a school shooting in the Russian city of Kazan. There have been conflicted reports about the situation, with some Russian news agencies reporting two teenage gunmen were involved and others saying one was involved. The RIA news agency says one gunman had been detained and that an explosion was heard at the school. The motive for the attack is not yet clear. Thousands of people have rallied outside the Israeli embassy in Ankara, Turkey, the country's consulate in Istanbul, in protest of recent Israeli violence against Palestinians. The protesters in Istanbul carried out a Palestinian flags and chanted down with Israel and down with America. Tensions in Jerusalem have been fueled by the planned forced expulsion of Palestinian families from the Shriyik Jara neighborhood and by an Israeli forces raid on the Al-Aqsa Mosque on Sunday one of the holiest nights of Ramadan. Palestinians officials say at least 20 people, including nine children, were killed when Israel carried out airstrikes in the Gaza Strip. Hamas, the ruling entity in Gaza, has retaliated by firing dozens of rockets into Israel, including a barrage that set off air raids signed uh, as far, far away as Jerusalem. Lastly, scientists are warning that drinking water supplies in parts of rural West Africa are being contaminated by lead-containing material used in small community water systems such as boreholes and hand pumps and public taps. They analyzed scraping taken from the plumbing of 61 community water supply systems in Ghana, Mali and Niger. 80% of the tested systems had at least one component that contained lead in excess of international guidance. Now recapping on your top story, South African Communist Party to follow the example of the African National Congress should they be should their members be charged with serious crimes. Rwanda and Uganda remain at loggerheads after almost three years in strained relations and nine people have been killed after a school shooting in the Russian city of Kazan. Channel African News. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. 
Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue at this hour. I will be with you until midday South uh, South African time or Central African time. Well, today we're going to be focusing on South Africa's uh, COVID situation. South Africa's Department of Health has confirmed variants of the COVID-19 virus first identified in India and Britain have been detected in South Africa. Uh, Two cases of the B1617 Point two variant dominant in um, India have been reported in Gauteng and another two reported in KwaZulu-Natal. A total of 11 cases of another variant first detected in Britain have been reported in the country, eight in the Western Cape, one in KwaZulu-Natal and two in Gauteng. We know that Wits University of Exology expert Professor Shabir Mahdi has stated that new variants and mutations are inevitable. However, he also said that the challenge now lies in the country's vaccination program and whether the vaccines will be effective against the new variant. And also we know uh, the Minister of Health has echoed the same sentiments. Well, to discuss these new developments, we join on the line by Prof. Ames Dai, who is from the South African Medical Research Council and the Vaccine Ministerial Advisory Committee. We also joined by Dr. Angelique Kutia, who is from the South African Medical Association. Professor Guy Richards is from the University of Wits. That's Wits University, to be more accurate. He is a professor uh, within critical care. Let's start with you, Professor Ames Dai. Thank you for giving us your time. Good morning, uh, and good morning to you and your listeners. Professor Dai, let's look and unpack this uh, new issue of these new variants. Uh, What do we know about them? So I'll say right from the outset that I am not uh, a virologist, um, and I handle bioethics. Mm. However, what I will say about these new variants is that they are of concern, um, and, and we are seeing variants that are emerging throughout the world. Now, what are one of the ways in which we can uh, ensure that we um, we are able to evict the variants getting into our populations? And I think we would need stricter border controls uh albeit variants are emerging throughout the world. Yeah. However, we also, I think, need to be serious as a South African society on the importance of um, masking, hand washing, and social distancing. And get serious about, even if, the state allows us to have social gatherings that include a large number of people. We need to be uh, you know, responsible individuals and avoid what common sense mm-hmm. tells us to do. So, so, so that's what mm-hmm. we should do. But the other very important thing for me also is while vaccines are not the answer to everything, we have to have other preventative measures. We really need to progress fast on the vaccine rollout. 
Absolutely. Dr. Angelique Kutsia, thank you for giving us your time as well on our program. And uh, we heard from Professor Ames Dai, who was uh, reiterating that we should actually uh, be stepping up in terms of taking uh, precautionary measures due to the fact that we have these new variants in the country. What can you say about these new variants and what challenges do they bring forth for us as a country? And Prof. Guy. So um, we need to understand, as what Prof. Mardi said, that we, going forward, we will be confronted with lots of variants. And uh, unfortunately, currently, we cannot predict which variants will be more um, for spreading more pathogenic than the ones that we currently have. So only time will tell us, and we will only be able to look back and say, this is where we make mistakes. That, that, that variant were much more pathogenic. We should have made you know, sure that there's enough ICU beds, or this is much more far-spreading. We should have stopped people from gatherings. Um, again, only time will tell us that. For now, we need to, to live every day as if all these variants are far-spreading and um, making each and every one much more sicker. By doing that, with the non-pharmaceutical measurements that's in um, place, that is how we're going to be safe and also to get vac- vaccinated. Yes, we cannot uh, promise each and every one that if you get vaccinated that you will not get COVID or that you will not spread it, but, but we can at least say that hopefully you will get it in a less severe form. Mm. And, um, and there's no easy way. We, there's no running away. There's no hiding. Mm. We are going to go through this whether we like it or whether we don't like it. And the quicker people get used to all these measurements that's been put in place, the better. Do we know what, you know, these variants are? Do we know their nature? What do we know about them, Dr. Kutsia? Well, for now, the ones that is of um, importance to us is a South African variant. We Mm. know it's a very fast-spreading virus. It is not as serious as the UK one. The UK one, we know, it is not as far spreading, but it's more serious. So it's the opposite of the South African variant. Mm. Do um, do we have the UK variant in our country? Yes, we do have. The Indian variant, there's not a lot known about the variant. Not even India can give us all the data. But it seems to me that that it seems to be quite um, a far spreading virus as well. How virulent it is, we would not know, only again, that this information will be coming available um, uh, hopefully within the next two to three weeks. And then we've got the Brazilian variant, which is not really of concern to us in South Africa at this, uh, at this moment in time, not to say it's going to change. Mm. So we know that still the South African variant is a faucet spreader of all these um, variants that we have so far that we that is of concern to us. And the reason why we say that is because we saw what happened in the second wave. Um, we, we do not know if all the people infected in India is infected with the Indian variant, um, as they also have the South African variant and they also have the UK variant. So it becomes like a, like a, uh, uh, a box of sweets, you know, with all mm. sorts in that. You know, you don't know which one is where, yeah. but you know what you've got in your country. Yeah. 
Professor Guy Richards, things are getting complex. I mean, they have been complex, but with these variants and the mutations that we're starting to see biologically, it's very difficult, as Dr. Angelique Kutsia is highlighting, in terms of identifying which variant is where, which one is dominant where, because it's becoming a reality. The fact that variants are going to be a norm in the situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah, that's true. But I think that uh, what has been said already is fairly accurate, that um, the variants themselves are uh, able to be inhibited by the vaccines we currently have available. We don't yet have that data for the Indian one, but there's no evidence to suggest that it wouldn't also be able to be inhibited and to prevent severe disease or the vaccines uh, to prevent severe disease from that variant as well. The transmission that has occurred in India has occurred not necessarily because of increased virulence or pathogenicity or even transmissibility. It's occurred because of the fact that, that there have been uncontrolled super-spreading events, which have been primarily big religious gatherings and also political rallies. And that's really been the site and the reason as to why that virus has spread uh, significantly. As far as the, the actual disease itself is concerned, the management from a clinical point of view is very much the same. And the primary abnormality that occurs with whatever variant you happen to have is respiratory abnormality with a need for oxygenation and sometimes also for mechanical ventilation. Mm. But as we've seen both in Israel and in the UK, dramatic reductions in hospitalization and death and overall numbers of cases because of the fact that people have uh, received their vaccine on a large scale. This is where we have been uh, failing currently in South Africa is to get the vaccine rollout uh, moving to any great extent. Whereas the non-pharmaceutical interventions are important, they should be sensible, um, they should not uh, cause people not to go into the open air. In other words, the beaches is nonsense. The parks is nonsense. Um, it should be done according to a rational uh, form which, will, which people will accept and follow and will actually have the maximal impact. And, and that's what we should be looking at at the moment. Well, uh, we are unpacking uh, the new developments in South Africa in regard to COVID-19. Two new variants have been detected in the country. Uh, what do they pose as a challenge uh, for South Africa? Uh, that's the question that we're asking today. We're joined by Professor Guy Richards, who's a critical care expert at uh, Wits University. Uh, professor there, Dr. Angelique Kutsia, is the chair of the South African Medical Association. And Professor Mez Dai is a member of the South African Medical Research Council and also uh, part of the Vaccine Ministerial Advisory Committee. Uh, very good uh, pointers that are coming from Professor Guy Richards in terms of the pace of the vaccine rollout. We'll uh, uh, find out how is that going with our other guests who've been involved in this uh, particular area of things, especially in terms of making sure that uh, we are procuring enough vaccines. I will look at that after our break.
Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Indeed, you are listening to Channel Africa on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet and international. You're streaming us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, we are speaking on uh, the new variants that have been confirmed in South Africa, two cases of the B1617.2 variant has been uh, uh, dominant in India. It's been reported in both Gauteng and in KwaZulu-Natal. The Britain variant, uh, B117, has been reported in the country in the Western Cape, KwaZulu-Natal, and in Gauteng. Today, we're posing questions in terms of what kind of challenges do these new variants pose uh, for the country. Professor Amir Stai is joining us from the South African Medical Research Council and Vaccine Ministerial Advisory Committee and Dr. Angelique Kutsia is joining us from the South African Medical Association. Professor Guy Richards is affiliated with Wits University. He's a critical care professor there. Dr. Angelique Kutsia, let me come to you because Professor Guy Richards is highlighting the challenge of the slow pace of the vaccination program in South Africa. Um, what kind of challenges do we have in this uh, the regard and what does uh, these new variants uh, how do they complicate the situation um, you know the, the new variants will complicate the situation um, in, in, the, in this manner or the way that we're not being able to um, vaccinated patients or people above the, the, uh, the 60 years old of um, age um, in time, uh, remember once if you get the Pfizer vaccine, so people in the urban areas will start with the Pfizer vaccine. Mm. Um, unfortunately, for now, the, the period between the two vaccines is 21 days. And then we know that only of about 14 days after the second vaccine, you will get um, immunity. So we are running against time, looking at the time spans, um, People um, next week starting to vaccinate themselves or, you know, get vaccinated will most probably be in June, um, somewhere in June, uh, be having enough antibodies to protect themselves. Um, we we do suspect that maybe the third wave will start around um, June. So for now, 
um, Samaj not convinced that the second that the third wave start already started. We know there are areas where there's increasing numbers, but um, all you know, if you look at the, the in total to the numbers, we we haven't started uh, a third wave yet. So um, we're running against that. So we're running against Don getting people vaccinated, and we should actually have done this process. Um, you know, the best time would have been February and March before seasonal changes start. Um, and and also we need to make sure that people get their flu vaccines. Because the last thing you need is a patient with COVID-19 and severe flu. Uh, you know, your, your mortality rate is, um, would be compromised if you also have co- other comorbidities and you are overweight. Mm-hmm. And, and again, if you are above the age of 60, we know this is the, the group is most important. Mm-hmm. So um, for now, we haven't started anything yet. We only vaccinated the healthcare workers. Um, what, what's the big challenge? I know that uh, the president of South Africa, Sir Ramaphosa, announced the the fact that we still have an, an issue of wealthy countries uh, keeping COVID nineteen shots uh, for themselves. Um, there still seems to be that issue that he highlighted in Parliament. How much of a problem is that when it comes to procuring, Dr. Kutsia? I don't think it's that big a problem. We have um, procured nearly 40 million dosages. So um, I don't think we should be worried that much about getting vaccines into the country. We should be more worried about getting the vaccines into the people's arms um, and, and get that right. So, uh, you know... We have seen how long it took us to get nearly 500,000 healthcare workers vaccinated. Mm. And so uh, I, I'm not sure what is the latest stats on how many people above the age of 60 has actually registered. But, um, you know, if you look at about 5 million that's supposed to be registered, mm. I don't think a million had even registered. So we need to make sure that we get the vaccines out. Also, remember, vaccines got an expiry date. Mm. So we can get a lot of vaccines into the country sitting at minus 70 degrees mm. and not getting it into arms. So that is the that, for me, is the most important form, uh, uh, um, uh, a goal. Get it into the arms. Keep the cold chain all the time. Mm. And, 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 and what's creating that, that, that issue? Sorry to interrupt you there, mm. um, but I'm interested in, in that point of, in terms of why are we um, struggling with the rollout? Is it the manpower? Is it the fact that there's not enough people to facilitate that program? Is it because the private sector is not involved? What's going there, going on there, Dr. Kutsia? With the Sasonke project, um, the private sector is involved. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think the Sasonke project, in the end of the day, mm-hmm. is, is quite well organized. Mm-hmm. But remember, we didn't get all the vaccines. They sent the vaccines in certain batches, and you first had to use the vaccines before the next batch arrived in, in the country. Mm. So now we um, finally have all 500,000 vaccines. So if you look at the Sasonke, um, I think there was lots of there's lots of lessons to be learned um, with with the rollout under the um, healthcare workers, and um, on those lessons learned should now be used when we start to um, start phase two of the public. So regarding the, the public, we only now received the vaccine. The vaccines only came into South Africa into the second quarter. Um, so we mm. didn't have the vaccines to start with a rollout of the public sector mm. or people, you know, in phase two, as they call it. 
Um, and so, so we don't know yet mm-hmm. how much of a logistical problem we're going to have. You still, you, you need to go into the, into the uh, program and the rollout to see what, what, um, what hiccups is going to, uh, uh, you know, appear okay, when, yeah, once sure. if you start doing the bloody work. Mm. Professor Dai, your thoughts on, uh these two factors, the new variants and the fact that we need to fast track as a country um, the rollout program. Well, I think you know, that we need to uh, roll yeah, Professor Dai, um, yeah. let me just give that to Professor Dai. Professor Richard, I'll, I'll come back to you. I thought you said yeah, sure. that it's a guy. So, oh, I, I, I apologize, uh, Professor Guy, Pro, uh, Professor Dai. Um, I'll, I'll go Professor Amiz just so you guys, uh, there's more clarity. That's that's my error. Go ahead, Professor Amiz. Yeah, so, I mean, it's well known that, uh, you know, we will continue getting variants if we don't roll out rapidly enough. So the important thing is to get people immunized. And without us getting them immunized fast enough, there's a greater chance of variants developing because the virus is going to just continue multiplying rapidly. So, uh, yes, it is a problem that we are getting the variants. Uh, it is something that, uh, like has been said, is something that we see in other countries as well. It is expected, but I think it is also pre- uh, something that we should be able to prevent uh, escalating. Now, in terms of the availability of vaccines, yes, there are two factors. uh, when it comes to availability of vaccines. It's the ability to purchase and the ability to ensure that adequate vaccines are available. Now, when I think we need to take a step back and look at what happened in 2020. The rich countries were able to, to, to take financial risk and get into advanced purchase agreements with the manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And in this way, most of the vaccines had been bought up in quantities well above country requirements. Mm -hmm. And also, not only have they been bought up, but they've also been hoarded. Mm -hmm. So what role does that play in, Mm -hmm. in the availability of vaccines? It means that the poorer countries who could not afford to take that financial risk are left behind in the queue. And with the result, what what happens is, you know, some of our countries will receive the vaccines later than uh, uh, the rich countries. I mean, that, that, that is a fact. What I also find so painful at the moment is Uh, the fact that the countries at the level of the World Trade Organization have, uh, the rich countries, Mm. have not supported the application by South Africa and India with regard to a waiver of the patents Mm. so that information can be shared and so that genetic can be made. Hmm. Developing countries do have the ability. Hmm. And, you know, and it's not just in Africa, but generally, hmm. developing countries, some of them do have the ability hmm. to manufacture. Hmm. We just need 
the information. And also one would require technology transfer. Mm. So not only do we see vaccine hoarding, but we see information hoarding. Mm. Um, Professor Guy, mm. let me come to you Please because different... Um, Thoughts are coming from uh, Dr. Mesdai and Dr. Angeli Kutsia, especially when it comes to uh, that issue of uh, um, the the hoarding of uh, the vaccines. What's your take? Okay, I'm a little bit more skeptical. <clears throat> One yeah. of the major problems, in fact, is that we just didn't bother to order. So we were way back in in terms of the um, of the list or the queue in terms of actually ordering or accessing them because we were so delayed in making up our minds in terms of, of, of buying. Mm. They didn't, in fact, require you to, uh, there was no requirement to pay even if the vaccine didn't arrive or it didn't work. So, in fact, there wouldn't have been any money lost. We were just too slow in terms of ordering the vaccines to start. Now our problem really arises in terms of the distribution, because we ha- are very slow in terms of arranging the actual distribution points of the vaccine, which is going to be uh, a major problem, bearing in mind the cold chain, uh, certainly in terms of the Pfizer vaccine, which is uh, critically important. But in addition to that, we've got a very vocal anti-vax group in this country, which has led to vaccine hesitancy. And these reports also, the very rare thrombotic or clotting abnormalities uh, have also put people off, even if with the J&J, for example, they have occurred in six people in 6.7 million overall who have been vaccinated. Mm. So if you look at the overall benefit relative to the minute risk of the clotting, then we need to get that sort of information out to the public and get rid of the vaccine hesitancy, because we should rather look at those countries that have been successful with getting the vaccine out to the majority of their population with almost eradication, both of hospitalization and deaths as far as COVID is concerned. Definitely, there's multiple factors and also different uh, contradicting statements at times coming from our guests. That means there is a lot of factors that are contributing to the current situation where there's slow vaccination in the country. Uh, But that just shows that uh, uh, these new variants could also uh, be showing a, a new uh, way of uh, us uh, um, seeing uh, more challenges in the country. Let me come t- to you, um, Dr. Angelique, because um, when we talk about the issue of waivers, when we talk about the issue of development of um, uh, these uh, vaccines, it's becoming a hot topic internationally. I think it's a very pivotal point that uh, Professor Ms. Dai is highlighting, whereby the production of uh, vaccines should be decentralized. What What are your thoughts on that? I agree with her on that. And um, I agree well, also with what Prof. Ames said about um, the richer countries. Um, but the game is that us to get even more vaccines in. We just, first of all, need to get rid of the ones that's currently in the country. And um, so we can gather a lot of vaccines, and if we don't get them out, we are still not moving anywhere. So, um, uh, for you know, regarding the richer countries buying up, um, I also think you know there is not a really a 
a, a, a urge or a, or a uh, you know, the, they don't think about other countries. They don't think about the third world countries that's yeah. got a, a problem with um, getting vaccines. But again, the same problem will be in the rest of Africa. Uh, even if they get the vaccines, you need to, um, it would actually also be more prudent for the richer countries to help those um, uh, poorer countries to get the whole process going and, and, and assist with the rollout, not only assist with getting vaccines, but also with the rollout and, 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 and um, all the experiences that people have to bring it to the party and to make their knowledge available mm. to each and every one out there. And I think that is very important. Um, Professor Guy Richards, your thoughts on this um, waiver issue? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's an important thing, but in order to get even the countries agreed now and said fine um the patents will be um revoked and people will have access it still would require months if not years to mm. actually get fa factories producing the vaccines in this country mm. now at the current moment what we really need to be looking at is those vaccines that we have purchased and getting them out into the arms of people then this is not any cure or merely the fact that we'll, we potentially would be allowed to, uh, to manufacture the vaccines. That's going to take a long time. Even the uh, manufacture currently of um, the J&J by Aspen is really just a, a taking the preformed and made vaccine and putting it into ampules and then allowing that to be uh, administered within the country. The actual making of the vaccine mm. requires a lot more work until such time as it can actually be uh, upscaled. Mm. Well, let me take a quick break and then we're going to wrap up uh, the conversation after that break. But I want us to look at what uh, Dr. Angelique Kutsia was highlighting earlier on, that we're anticipating um, the third wave. She highlighted the month of June. It sounds just around the corner. If you think about it, what should we be doing in consideration of this India and Britain uh, variant? Uh, how, what should we be concerned with? Uh, Professor Mezdar was highlighting earlier on that we should start to rethinking um, controlling our borders a little bit more. Should we be introducing more lockdowns and revisit that system? Uh, there's so many questions to be answered, but we'll see what our guests think of uh, moving forward after our break. This is Africa's best sport destination, Africa at Play, where there are stars, legends, and the principles of the game. Kenyan athlete Iluir Kipchoge is here, the first man in the history to complete a marathon under two hours. South African golden girl, Kasta Simenya, Sadio Mane, one of Africa's best footballers. Chef president, Dr. Patrice Mutipe, Dr. Tiangwa, Kosava president is also present. Reigning world rugby champs, Springboks, blast the tall height around us. That's African basketballers, Cecilia Molokwani, African netball president, Volleyball, cricket, golf, tennis, boxing, and swimming all represented. 
You are listening to Africa at Play with sports from an African perspective. Live every Saturday and Sunday from 1900 hours to 2000 hours Central African time on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 802 or streamed live on channelafrica.co.za. Africa at Play. Well, let's wrap up this conversation. It has come up with a lot of factors around where we are as South Africa with our COVID-19 situation with these new variants identified in the country. Professor Amesdai, your final sentiments, should we be looking at reintroducing another level of, of lockdown? How do we navigate that, especially the fact that you were highlighting earlier on that we should really rethink the border control situation? Yeah, it, it's difficult. It's complex. We need to look at saving lives and saving livelihoods. And we know what the issues are in terms of the economic problems as well. Having mm-hmm. said that, we may need to consider a lockdown if we find that the healthcare workers in our hospitals just can't cope. I think that's the, you know, that's when one starts considering more stringent lockdowns. Um, I also think that uh, it's very important we have the vaccines in the country. The planned rollout is for commencement from the 17th or 18th of May. We would like to see this actually taking place at a pace that that is necessary Mm. for our country to, you know, reach that stage of herd immunity. Mm. And the third thing for me is it's I think we also need to go beyond the country and and really push for uh, global coordination and solidarity on the issue of vaccines. Absolutely. Dr. Kutsia? Um, I also agree with what Prof. Ames has um, just said. And um, I, I, I also think what is important for the average public out there to use common sense. And, mm. you know, we have now been preaching for more than a year to do your mask, the social distancing, the um, airflow and the hand wash. Mm. And it doesn't seem as if people still understand it. So, you know, you get patients coming into the surgery very worried that they might have COVID and if you then ask but that you wear your mask that you do what we yeah, yeah. I don't know um, whether the public actually really understand the urgency and the the, the real impact mm. that if you get COVID-19 um, in the severe form what a devastating impact that is mm. so yes to look back at um should we close the borders and all of that? As Prof. Ames said, it's very complicated. There's a lot of factors coming in. But um, still, if you do your little, if you play your little part that we keep on asking you, you should be fairly safe. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we need to protect our citizens and our country as well. And we need to look at what is best practice in other countries and bring that into Mm-hmm. Um, our country as well, and 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 make it customized, customize it for our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I think um, hard lockdowns is not really really going to um, to help us uh, accept if the healthcare system can't cope. Yeah, and that's it. Mm. Professor Richards, let me give you the final say. 
So I, I think the variants are probably all in the country and have been for some time. I don't think this is something new. We know that the J&J, Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine are, are effective against the, uh, the uh, variants in Brazil, uh, South Africa and the UK. We don't yet know about the Indian one, but almost certainly they will also be effective against uh, that one as well. I think that um, the most important thing is still going to be getting the vaccine out to the people there as well. And uh, the type of lockdown really should be not the hard lockdown that we had before. If we need one, uh, we should try and avoid it in terms of the economic activity. But when we do have one, if we do have one, it should be to encourage people to be outdoors instead of locking people up inside and preventing uh, access to exercise and all the rest of it. So minimize the impact overall on people which will also then decrease the civil disobedience mm. that uh, occurs because of um, certain uh, not well thought out aspects of the lockdown itself. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for helping us. Really appreciate you as a station for always helping us understand these patterns. I know our listeners also appreciate it. Uh, thank you all for giving us your time. Good. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, that's how we wrap up our conversation today. Very helpful experts uh, trying to help us understand what these new variants uh, actually mean uh, for our country and also the vaccination program. We're going to do a special program looking at the the waiver debate that's happening internationally when it comes to vaccine development. And uh, we'll look at that uh, in the coming week. But uh, let's uh, get our news update on Ellen Zinz. He just took his seat on a station. Uh, let's get uh, what's happening in the business world. Thank you, Benjamin. Looking at your economics news updates, efficient service delivery is under threat as a wage dispute looms between South Africa's public sector workers' unions and the government. This is as wage negotiations between the two parties deadlocked at the bargaining council. In the fourth round of wage talks on Monday, unions refused to move from their demands and the government from its offer. The International Labour Organization has been brought in to assist the parties to reach consensus. The current round of wage negotiations began over two months ago, with various unions tabling a joint demand of a 7% wage increase. Mugwena Maluleke, who is a representative of Kasatu, says an agreement is not yet in sight. We are still far from getting to that particular uh, process. And on Sunday, we started a full-blown facilitation, and yesterday and today. So we will see how far we are today, and we will assess again uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're hoping the employer will put a revised offer uh, today or by the latest tomorrow, because the clock is ticking. 
South Africa's Financial and Fiscal Commission has warned the government's continued support of state-owned enterprises presents a major risk to debt sustainability and financial sustainability. The FFC says there is now a need to establish a new framework for supporting SOEs that is based on them meeting clear financial and operational goals. Speaking at the National Assembly Appropriation Committee, the commission says government's liabilities to the SOEs is too high and could lead to further credit rating downgrades. Senior researcher Tandro Zondo has told the committee that SOE governance failures results in efficiency, corruption and financial mismanagement. The SOE's governance failures uh, manifesting in inefficiency, corruption and financial mismanagement uh, really calls for legislative and governance reforms for these SOEs that will be based on centralized uh, oversight, in particular with regards to to procedures for the appointment of uh, SOE board members, uh, but also most importantly, the performance management framework and and procurement regulations for, for these SOEs. The G7 group of wealthy countries has pledged 389 million U.S. dollars to assist millions of people affected by the Boko Haram insurgency in northeastern Nigeria. It's expected to support efforts by the UN and other aid agencies in helping victims of the conflict. A statement from the UK High Commission in Nigeria says Britain is leading the coordinated move by the G7 countries to provide humanitarian assistance this year. Angola's Minister of Mineral Resources, Petroleum and Gas, Diamantino Azevedo, has called on Belgian businesses to invest in the country's diamond industry in order to help boost the sector. Speaking to about 20 visiting Belgian business people from the Antwerp World Diamond Centre, Diamantino Azevedo said the call is meant to lure investments into the diamond market in view of Angola's current dynamics. The minister on the occasion reaffirmed Angolan plans to create a stock market for the sector and said the country is open to cooperate with the AWDC on a partnership that will come into experimental operation next year. Lastly, the European Union says it is willing to see its COVID-19 vaccine contract with AstraZeneca fulfilled by the company three months later than agreed, provided AstraZeneca delivers 120 million vaccines by the end of June. AstraZeneca had originally agreed with the EU to deliver 300 million doses of its COVID-19 vaccine by the end of June, but has so far delivered only 50 million. The lawyer representing the EU bloc told the court that the EU could accept the full contract on 300 million to be delivered only by the end of September, but the company should deliver 120 million doses by the end of June. AstraZeneca had offered to deliver only 100 million by the end of June. Now looking at your financial indicators, one U.S. dollar is trading at 380.56 Nigerian Naira, 10.67 Botswana Pula, 105 rather, 105.60 Kenyan shilling, and 22.27 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, uh, the dollar is trading at 5.22 Brazilian Ru, 73.95 Russian ruble, 73.38 Indian rupee, 6.41 Chinese one, and 14.03 South African rands. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 70 pence to the British pounds and 82 cents to the euro. And looking at your commodities, gold is trading at $1,835 and platinum at $1,246 per ounce, while the price of Brent oil is quoted at $67.75 a barrel. I'm going to sports news update with Mosibudi Makura.
Thank you, Anela. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with Cricket News, India captain Virat Kohli and uh, several of his teammates have uh, received their first dose of COVID-19 vaccines before they leave for day 12 mm-hmm. England next month. Now, India face uh, my New Zealand in the final of the inaugural World Test Championship at uh, Southampton in June before playing a five-test series against England from the 4th of August. Meanwhile, Indian athletes preparing for the Tokyo Olympics, including the men and the women's hockey teams, have also received their first dose of the vaccine. On to football news, Hugo Bruch, the head coach of South Africa's men's national football team, also known as Abanifana Bafana, has a hint that he will look into youth to build a new squad. Now Bruch handed a rather landed in the country on Monday night with his new assistant, while our under-23 head coach David Notwana has uh, reportedly been sounded as his local assistant. Now with the World Cup qualifiers only months away, Bruce says that uh, he has a beating of his opponents. Yes, yes, I know Ghana very well. Okay. Uh, Zim- Zimbabwe is a dangerous opponent. Yeah. Uh, you don't know very well what. And Ethiopia, um, I think Ethiopia was in the group of uh, Egypt mm. uh, before. Uh, everything can be beaten, but uh, it's not a guarantee that because we, uh, we b- I know how to beat Ghana that we will beat now Ghana again. Mm. Um, and. Secondly, uh, um, we have to, to be ready for that and, and, and we have enough work to do to be ready for that. So we will see in September if uh, South Africa will be ready to beat, uh, to beat uh, Ghana, but it's possible, why not? Now the Belgian says his knowledge about our South African players is limited, but says he will select the best performing players for the country. I can make my choices. I don't have to look to anybody and this is when 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 you are when everybody knows you and you, and you know the players already sometimes an, uh, a choice is difficult to make mm. i'm clean for the moment mm. so all the choices i have to make i will make because i don't have to count on him or whatever so and, and that can be uh, in favorite for me on to golf news, world number one Dustin Johnson has pulled out of this week's AT Anti Byron Nelson tournament with a knee injury a week before the US PGA Championship tournament. Now the American who had a knee surgery back in 2019 says that his comfort he occasionally experiences has returned. Now the two-time major winner last played at the Valspar Championship two weeks ago, where he finished tied for 48th. Johnson has rather won his most recent major tournament back in November last year, which was the Masters and also finished um, tied second at the 2020 USPGA. And finally, Japan tennis ace Naomi Osaka is conflicted over whether the Tokyo Olympics should be held amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The second-ranked tennis player who represents Japan was asked about the Games at the Italian Open. What I've been waiting for my entire life, but I think that there's so much important stuff going on and especially the past year um i think a lot of unexpected things have happened and for me i feel like if it's putting people at risk and if it's making people very uncomfortable then it definitely should be a discussion which i think it is as of right now so yeah at the end of the day i'm just an athlete um and there's a whole pandemic going on, so yeah. And those are sports news at this hour. I'm back with more sports news in the next hour.
All right, that's how we say goodbye, but uh, do stay with us right here on uh, Channel Africa. Coming up is Africa Midday, giving you the latest news on what's happening on the continent. So we have all these correspondents from all over the continent that are really going to pack in all this information in this one program from our English news desk. So do stay with us right here on Channel Africa. From me, Benjamin Mushatam, until next time, God bless.